time for Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Good afternoon, Ms. Davis. Good afternoon, John. You've been much missed. Good. By you and I went on. I went on strike in your in your absence. Did you? <laughs> I did not even grace this platform with my presence. Did you get a raise in pay as a result of your strike? Absolutely not. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, send you, I send lots of love to you and Haji and, and Miles, if that helps. Thank uh, you very much. You are optimistic about Esmacha Schuller being on his way out. I'm always optimistic about South African politics. I feel like I'm the only person in the country who always believes the ANC is just on the verge of renewal, constantly, every year. Always disappointed, but then I pick myself up and I go forth. And this year is no exception, John. In fact, I'm feeling positively buoyant. Between the step-aside rule, and I mean, we know that the step-aside rule itself is no guarantee of anything because technically it has existed since 2017. I was sort of mildly encouraged. I mean, I look for anything, John. I'm like somebody who believes in star signs, you know. But yesterday, Ace Bakashule was doorstopped by, by journalists and he said, maybe he will step aside. We'll have to wait and see. Look, it's not a no, John. It's not a no is what I'm saying. What else has given me really, you know, a, a pep in my step is the Supreme Court of Appeal ruling on the Free State Pro- Pro- uh, Provincial Executive Congress in 2018. Now, yesterday, of course, the SCA said that Congress was nonsense and everything that came, came out of it was a steaming ball of nonsense and should be set aside. And the good thing about this, I feel, is that it has brought to the fore once again exactly how bad Ace Magashuda is, is at actually running things. And this is important because one of the central claims in his defense is that, oh, he has grown the membership of the ANC so dramatically while he was Secretary General. Well, we all know why. It's because he has a history of inflating membership numbers, of letting dead people vote in branch meetings, of letting people who aren't ANC members poses members, etc. Now, comrade, how can we discriminate against dead people by denying them the right to vote, comrade? Practically, word for word, probably, an excerpt from a meeting. Yes, and that is what the Supreme Court of Appeal judgment has reinforced again, that Ace Magashule cannot be trusted to run the province that he did run for 20 years, so why on earth are we letting him run this massive organization? And then, thirdly, John, and this is really the the ace in the hole, so to speak, that is that his primary aide in all of his endeavors appears to be Mr. Carl Niehaus, although it must be said that there's a somewhat uneven friendship because Carl is definitely keener on ace than the other way around. Ace has been a little ambivalent towards Carl. But when your main ally is Carl Niehaus, you got in some serious trouble. And I was thinking about this because a few weeks ago, I wrote a very, very unflattering profile of Carl Niehaus. The Daily Maverick, where I actually, you know, a lot of people don't take Carl seriously. I sat down and actually tried to write about him in a semi-serious way. I went and read his autobiography. And because I was trying to understand who is this strange white man, who is he and where does he come from? You know, I spoke to a lot of people who said he actually seems like a fool, but Carl Niaz is dangerous because he is completely unscrupulous, completely unscrupulous and desperate for money. And that is a dangerous combination. He'll do anything. But more to the point, when I finished the piece, Carl got hold of me in a rage and he said, why did you only talk to my enemies? Why didn't you talk to any of my friends? And I didn't want to say it to hurt his feelings, John. But the answer is because he doesn't have any friends. His only friends are Ace Magashule and Kebi from the MKMVA. 
So what I'm saying is Ace's only friend is Carl Nias. Carl Nias has no other friends. These are very isolated human beings. They really are. Ace Magashule, I've said it before, does not have a national footprint. He is not a struggle hero. We know this from Peter Louis Maivo's investigation. He came out of nowhere. I firmly believe Ace Magashule is going to be pushed out of the ANC top six. The RET faction will be just will be, if not destroyed, I mean, they can stay as an ideological principle, but they, their power will be diminished, and then we will see the renewal of the ANC. And a glorious, I don't want to say new dawn, but a glorious novel morning in South African politics. Oh, I can't wait. Ten, ten cities. Uh, there's one that I drive past every morning on my way to work coming off the off um, Steenberg Road onto the M3. There's a fairly sizable one under the highway here on um, uh, this little street, Ebenezer Street, as I go from work to the V&A waterfront to drive home. There was one on the M3 Edinburgh Drive upcoming, but that seems to have been removed. And there's a biggish one in Greenpoint. Yes, there's one on Bill Peters Drive just before the Virgin Active. And I see in the news that there's one in District 6 on the field there and there's one in Goodwood. And what I've been wondering, John, and I say this without any particular, you know, sort of ideological inflection, I've just been wondering how the one in Greenpoint, which I drive to on my way to the gym every day, how it has been allowed to continue because it's been there for months and months and months and months. And these people are being, you know, unmolested, it seems. And I'm honestly quite happy for them. They seem to be living a perfectly kind of restful and civil life there. Um, now I understand, of course, the reason is that the city of Cape Town says they don't have the power to move people out of 10 cities at the moment because of the restrictions of the Disaster Management Act. So that is the answer to my question, just in case it was shared by others of your listeners. But, John, it also strikes me, you know, the city of Cape Town always says there's no room for low-cost housing in the city centre. Well... You know, people are showing that actually there are quite a few patches of public land in the city centre on which a person might um, spring a tent or perhaps live. But the other thing that really is hammered home to me by all this is how much people hate having homeless people in their vicinity. The District 6 Residents Association, I mean, there's a real irony here, John, is absolutely up in arms. They're saying, you know, the forced removal people are trying to come back now that there's these homeless people living here. What are we to do? This is going to be always a major political problem for the city of Cape Town, even if it does decide to build suddenly the most remarkable low-cost housing. That NIMBY mentality, not in my backyard, is so very, very strong. Yeah, I mean, the, the ones who, who live under the sort of overpass getting onto the M3, they're, they're probably anywhere between four and eight people who seem to be living there at any given time. They've set up a little garden, they've strung it, they've put string around it, they've planted some plants there, and I would like them very much to be living in more formal shelter. But they seem to be, I don't want to say comfortable because that's quite patronizing, but they seem to be living there without a desire to move on from there. And I, I know this uh, is not a view which is widely shared by my audience, or I don't think it's a view widely shared by my audience, but they don't seem to be causing anybody any trouble, and their their life seems to continue, continue at a fairly even tenor, so why not, why not leave them there, whether disaster regulations allow you to move them or not? Mm, that is my question, too. The, certainly the community gathered outside in Greenpoint seemed to run their little kind of enclave with 
kind of meticulous regularity, you know, out sweeping every morning and so forth. I can't see anyone being, you know, kind of tangibly inconvenienced by their presence. But as you said, probably not a popular view. And um, I've just received uh, from a listener, ooh, looks like Robert Marawa is going to be the next coach of Bafana Bafana, which is one of the April Fool's new stories, which has been planted earlier today. Thankfully, fewer every year, but I won't be truly thankful until there is none. I quite agree, John. I want to quote from the Economist, actually, a great piece I just read. And it says that the, the well, this is me, the custom of April Fool's in an age of fake news must, and I quote, stay on our list of temporarily relinquished pleasures like dance floors and tables for 10 and big rooms full of applauding strangers. We cannot have April Fool's anymore. Not with social media, not with the internet and not with fake news. It just doesn't work, people. It worked in the days when there were, you know, big newspapers and they'd run some hilarious prank about an alien landing or whatever, and everyone would have a good chuckle. Now you just receive a piece of misinformation, which is what it is. Because what really is the difference now between an April Fool's joke and fake news? Nothing. They're, they're the same thing. This is the problem. Also, just the ones one does see are so terribly bad. ENCA, for instance, this morning announcing that the veteran newsreader Apollo Krutboom was going to join ENCA. I mean, to me, that does not meet the, the minimum norms and standards for a joke in the first place. Second of all, ENC just opening itself up to a barrage of criticism, I can only imagine. The DA in Joburg had the most terrible joke. I mean, since when do political parties do April Fool's anyway? About the mayor of Johannesburg going to join him and Mishaba. And then another one that actually brought me genuine heartbreak. I don't know if you saw, John, the DA, KwaZulu-Natal, um, Contender Mbali and Tuli posting that she was starting a new political party with Lindiwe Mazibuko, Tuli Madontela and Wendy Applebaum, a female forward social democratic party. I mean, that is heartbreaking as far as jokes go in terms of how utterly magnificent it might be if it were true. So the, the, the point is, they're either irritating or they're confusing or they're downright sad because they remind you of what could be, as in the case of Mbali and Tuli. Either way, down with April Fool's jokes, they must fall. Pansy April Fool's jokes. Pansy. There we go. That's mm-hmm. Why are you sad that the Ever Given is moving? John, the Ever Given. First of all, what a name, you know? And when you looked at the list of its brother and sister ships, but they're all sister ships, aren't they? Because all ships are female. Equally strange names, you know, all starting with ever, ever greeted, ever, all geez. Very strange. I loved everything about the boat being stuck in the Suez Canal story, John. And, you know, there were many reasons. And one of them was well, well put, I thought, by a social media user, which is that in this era of so many confusing financial concepts, Bitcoin, non-fungible tokens, etc. There was something so refreshing about the fact that global commerce was being unavoidably disrupted by a boat stuck in a canal. It was something we could all understand. It required no advanced degrees in computers or whatever. There it was. It produced absolutely wonderful memes, particularly the ones to do with the size of that tiny digger sent to get out this massive, massive ship. And then the other thing, John, was that we all agreed that the boat was stuck. 
we agreed on the nature of the problem. All of us around the world, we were looking at it, apart from the Egyptian media, by the way, which repeatedly ran stories saying the boat is not stuck. But for the rest of us, we agreed. We agreed that the boat being stuck was bad. It was a moment of rare global consensus. And you could say stuff about the boat and not be in trouble with your relatives on Facebook. There you are, there are with people with whom you will be in trouble for calling a ship a boat. You do realize that. Is that a thing? Yes. Well, if, if, if that is the hill on which I am to die, John, on which I receive my overdue cancellation, then so be it. My point is that I missed that boat and I missed the wonderful, truly free speech it encouraged and fostered among us all in the global community. And I would be happy if another boat were to get stuck there sometime soon. <laughs> global trade would not be, but I'm with you. Rebecca Davis, thank you very, very much indeed. There will, I hope, pending the absence of a strike, be a plan B again next week.